Westchester Talk Radio is broadcasting live. News, trends, and more. No one knows Westchester County better than we do. We are Westchester Talk Radio. Hi, everybody, and we are back. I'm Bob Marone with Michael Blakey from Westchester for Westchester Talk Radio, and we are live at the ShopRite right here in New Rochelle for the sixth annual Stuff the Truck to benefit feeding Westchester. Today's Saturday, December 4th. We say that because we'll be here from 10 a.m. We started then to 3 p.m. today. And then Sunday, tomorrow, December 5th, we'll be at ShopRite again from 10 to 3 p.m. We're produced this afternoon by Shaw Creative and made possible by, of course, ShopRite there here at Norcom, Robeson, Holtec International. By the way, Robeson uh, is uh, the house that service built and Ray Insurance. I'm Bob Marone. Welcome to the program. Our next guest as we collect food for the hungry, uh, no stranger to our radio station. He's Daniel Cook, and he's the decommissioning safety manager for CDI, that's Comprehensive Decommissioning International, and that's, of course, at the Indian Point Energy Center. What you know is that longtime friends of this broadcast and now our friends, uh, well, our friend, Daniel Cook, is now in charge of decommissioning. That is actually a huge job, isn't it? But before we do, how you been? Bob, I've been great. Thanks for asking. It's good to see you again. It's good to see you again. And you have your Indian Point jacket on. Oh, yeah. Which we, which we like. Now, you worked at Indian Point, and then you transitioned over to this. Is that correct? Uh, that's correct. I worked with the previous owner, Entergy, for many years, 23 years there. And then uh, when they left and head back south, uh, a new company came on site, Comprehensive Decommissioning CDI, which uh, is a subsidiary of Holtec International. And this is the company that's going to help dismantle it and safely take Indian Point apart. Now, uh, people will be interested in this. It's not like you pack your bags and go home. Decommissioning it will take literally a decade. Uh, it, well, a little bit over that. We're, we're planning on perhaps 12 years. By law, it could take 60, six zero years. We're on schedule to do it in about 12 years, get it back to reuse and get, let it have its next life. Originally, on if you remember, it was an amusement park way back when. Then we built the facilities there. We have three nuclear reactors there. Daniel, I, I, I'm not that old. But yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> Just give me a break. I know the hair is a little white. But yeah, exactly. So now we're going to get it back to repurpose whatever the next uh, chapter of it's going to be. Now, what is the, I mean, everybody knows that you've got the nuclear fuel rods, the spent fuel, whatever. What is the most delicate and difficult thing? Well, I, I think, like you said, the fuel, we want to make sure we handle it professionally and correctly, and, and we put it in the right storage containers to get it safely stored up on our pad for, for future uh, dispensation with it. But uh, that's the biggest thing. It's just kind of a uh, big thing is we've got to keep in mind that even though we're not running, there's still safety has to be the important most first, first thing on the list of things to be considered. Now, are there things yet to be determined? You know, we had, <clears throat> we'd heard a while back that there was a a storage facility, I guess out in Utah, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, but that for political reasons, they stopped taking fuel. What what ultimately happens to the fuel? Or is that still the TBD? Well, unfortunately, that's a TBD. It's a shame, but uh, originally the government was building a, a facility out near uh, Las Vegas called Yucca Mountain. That got put on hold. Uh, so right now, unfortunately, uh, we have to let it sit on our site until the government comes up with a, a storage facility for it. So, meantime, we have it safely stored in canisters on a secure pad with security watching them all the time. So, we'll just sit there safely until the next uh, next uh, storage location becomes available. Now, I remember, and we've been through this before, I know, <clears throat> but there's always a new audience. I 
did one of the few six-hour specials I ever did on radio. I did about my week or several days spent at Indian Point. Very impressive. And one of the things that still stays with me is the film you showed before we're even allowed in the plant. And they flew a fighter into the hub where the fuel was, of course, stored to build a reactor. And the fighter plane couldn't dent it. Right. Tell people how secure, so they'll feel safe, yeah. those canisters that you build. Are they as sturdy as that entity was? Very much so. What you see on the outside is just a metal container, but inside that metal container is a ring of concrete, and then another metal container inside that, and then a metal container inside of that. So, yeah, it's thick as can be. It can withstand any assault on it. Of course, we hope not to have to experience that, but we're, we're prepared should something bad happen. We'll no, be there well, I think people tend to think of the worst in this day and age, and, and, and those are very secure. Again, I remember that very well. Now, uh, I realize you're going to say yes to this, but it needs to be, uh, I think, expanded upon. I've often said on the air that the most impressive facility I've ever been at for standards and safety was Indian Point in my life. Is the decommissioning process, does it follow those that same rigor? Oh, very much so. I mean, as a matter of fact, we've been fortunate enough to have 300 of the people that worked at Indian Point while I was operating stay on for the decommissioning. Along with that, we're hiring a lot of people from Holtec who've worked worldwide at decommissioning and what have you. So we like to think we hired the best. And uh, as on the other side of that, some of our employees that have decided to go elsewhere go to Con Ed. The minute they heard they used to work at Indian Point, they can't wait to snap them up. I bet. Quick enough, because the training we've done over the years, our regiment for safety and operations is uh, second to none. We're talking with Daniel Cook. He's the decommissioning safety manager of what we all know as Indian Point here in Westchester. But the company now handling uh, the decommissioning is CDI for Comprehensive Decommissioning International. And as you can hear, um, they work at that facility. They're decommissioning it, taking it down, storing the fuel safely. And they carry with them that culture. How did that culture evolve? Uh, again, I wanted actually to work. I would have worked there. We would have loved to have you, Bob. No, I would have worked of. there. I was uh, Because one of the things, because some people are a little bit, what, what shall I say? You know, it, oh, nuclear power, scaredy cats about it. It almost became a family business. People who knew how it was run wanted to work there. And there was a, there was a real sense of mission. Oh, exactly. Yeah. And, and it's also generational, too, which yeah. we'd have people when it was first built that stayed on. Then as it first started operating, their, their children and their children's children come on. It was it was a great, safe place to work. And uh, and that's uh, shown by the fact that different generations will continue to come there and be an employee there. Now, how'd you find your way there? Uh, just a quick story. I used to work upstate as a union electrician. A buddy of mine called me and said, hey, get your resume in the mail. I go, yeah, what's a resume? I work construction. I pull wire. I terminate yeah. wire. And uh -huh. So I got down there, and then, uh, you know, I said they train you. You don't just walk in and start working there. And then um, I've been doing it ever since. I traveled the country for 15 years, literally from Maine to California, working at nuclear power plants. When I got back to any point, I was so impressed with the way it was run. I go, hey, this is the home for me. And I, yeah. I became a permanent employee and been there for over 23 years. Yeah, that'll do. I almost wish we were still talking about it because that was such, such an impressive event. I'm, I still remember this one maintenance guy before they would even let him out. He had to get in that machine where you have to, your whole body has to fit in it right. and every bit of equipment gets tested. Yeah. He was in there for a long while because there was some issues and they made sure he was 100% safe. Exactly. I had to wear the dose meter and again, technology now, no one will be surprised, but the, the way it was used, I was registered into the computer 
and the dose meter with the computer was tracking me the whole time that I was in the facility. Exactly. I mean, it's amazing. You know, it is. The technology has come a long way since when I first started in the industry. But you're right. We track down any bit of exposure you would have gotten. And should there be any uh, uh, particulate, or a lot of times, to be honest, it's even natural occurring radon gas. Yeah. Should you have anything on your clothing? We monitor you, and we don't let you out until you're 100% no, clean I, and can go on the street safely. And you got to see that guy who was shaking himself up to make sure <laughs> in, the, in the machine. He said, you're not getting out. Sorry, buddy. And they, he, he had to wait, uh, as, as did I. In fact, I had a little bit of defiance in me. They let me in the room where the, the pool is. Sure. And I felt so safe. I just looked over that little glass and right into the pool, and I felt as safe as if I was looking in a swimming pool. Just, just something about, because since you're in charge of safety, uh, I'm not impressed. I'm not trying to gild a lily. If you would listen to the special I did, I've, I've never really gotten over it. So now, let's, let's go through just a little bit. What are the stages of decommissioning? Well, the, the first big thing is get all of our fuel out of our fuel storage buildings and up onto our uh, storage pads. That's the big thing. We want to get all the fuel safely stored. In the meantime, in parallel with that, we are starting to dismantle some of the outer buildings, some of the stuff that's not radiologically uh, contaminated, mm-hmm. as well as we're making preparations to go into our containment building to actually cut up the reactor. Yikes. So yeah, we're, we're kind of doing everything in parallel, but our priority one, obviously keeping safety in mind, is to get all the fuel out of the fuel storage pad, or onto the pad, out of the pools. So we have two pools there, one at Unit 2 and one at Unit 3. Uh, we have about uh, 2,000 bundles to be moved. And we'll move them out safely and then uh, get them up in a safe storage up on the pad and then continue dismantling the buildings, get it returned back to, uh, for future use. Now, the actual reactor, what materials house where the interaction takes place, where the rods are dropped in and so forth? Uh, well, the reactor is made up of uh, uh, stainless steel and uh, we have uh, uh, baffle bolt plates inside that, baffle plates inside that. Uh, we also have racks that the fuel will go into. So inside the, the reactor vessel, there's racks where we put each bundle of fuel in, which is about a 12 inch by 12 inch by a 14 feet long bundle of fuel. So the racks that held them, we have to dismantle them, get them out. Uh, all the uh, internal dr- drives and stuff, the mechanisms that would pull the control rods in and out, we're disassembling them now, right now, as a matter of fact. And of course, the head of the re- vessel itself, the head of the reactor, and then the reactor itself. It's, uh, it's going to be quite a process. What's the floor made of? Well, it's all concrete. It's I mean, all concrete. Yeah, exactly. The whole building is concrete. The walls are about five and a half to six feet thick. And I can attest to that. We're cutting a larger opening in the in the uh, wall so we can bring in larger equipment to help dismantle the reactor. It's going to be quite a job. Now, are the fuel entities already removed? In other words, have the warads been withdrawn already? Yep. And, all, and all of the fuel has been taken out of the reactor and taken over to be safely stored in our fuel storage buildings. So uh, we defueled Unit 2 last year, and we defueled Unit 3 this year in the spring before we transferred ownership. Now, what is done with the material, the stainless steel, the concrete, with the real business end of the reactor? Now, that obviously is, or is it not, contaminated? No, it's funny you say that. The, the walls of our containment building have been, uh, first by our radiation protection department, have been found to be clean. So it's just be normal concrete, uh, getting rid of that. Really? As we get inside the building, get a little closer to where the reactor was, yeah, that'll have to be surveyed and analyzed. And depending on the classification of storage, it would be sent to an off-site storage facility. Now, there are people, obviously, yourself among them, who specialize in this. Um, What kind of a background do these men and women need? uh, Are they nuclear engineers, or or is it broken down the way other engineering is, where you have 
people who master one part of it, an engineer, someone could be equivalent to a construction worker, but obviously very knowledgeable in it. What is the, what is that breakdown? Yeah, it's funny you say that. We have a, a good team collection, and it's just like you're saying. We have people that are specialists in radiation protection, how to survey, analyze, and control the exposure. Then we have engineers on metallurgy and how to dismantle the reactor, how to safely cut it up and put it into manageable pieces so it can be shipped off-site. We have engineering helping us with the crane work and the rigging on how to dismantle it. So interesting. It's a, yeah, it's, it's just a, it's a collection of people, we, and uh, the company's done a great job of getting some of the best in the nation here. It's, it's fascinating. And do you have to stay in the decommissioning process as up-to-date on the requirements, the standards, as you did when the plant was open? For example... Again, what you guys trained me, I think I could have worked there. <laughs> you have that hierarchy in the control room of the people up by the uh, controls, the next people supervising them, the group behind them supervising them, and then the people in the, con the, the room behind the glass frame. I think it's two or three levels, whatever it is. I will never forget how they all had to be get refresher training in X numbers oh. of weeks. Do you have that too, even in this process? It's still ongoing, but it's not as uh, intense now because, right. again, we're not running the reactors. Right. So a lot of systems are out of service now. They've been So it's, it's a safer gig. Exactly, yeah. much so. Yeah, so we have less staff in the control room. Again, we have less, less pumps, less valves, less motors running right now. So uh, we still have someone in the control room 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, but they also go to refresher training. It's a little bit modified as there's less things to be aware of and be uh, sensitive to now. Uh, yeah, I still date. Now, folks, you know, if you listen to these broadcasts enough, that I have a very tiny brain. And this tiny brain actually scrambled the reactor in the training room. They yeah. took me through that whole exercise. And all you have to do is hit a red button. You see the rods come out, and you're good to go. Exactly. Now, the, the rigorous training, i got to share this with people because they, they'll they appreciate what you do. And I guess the person who was training me didn't tell me why they didn't wear helmets in the control room. He asked me if I could figure it out. And I said, I don't have a clue. And it's so the hat, this is how thought through it is, so that the helmet won't fall off and inadvertently hit a button. Exactly. I, I, you guys think that through. The only, the only, the only other profession I, that thinks like that is flying, where you think of every little possibility. Now, as you go through... The decommissioning. You said anywhere between 10 and 60 years. Um, what's the longest part of it? What, what, what part really protracts it? Well, I think just tearing down the buildings. Once we've gotten the fuel safely stored up on the pad, it's just tearing down. There's concrete everywhere. These are secure buildings that were built, and they just don't come apart easily. So that's going to be the biggest thing is just the dismantling of the buildings and the associated systems, the piping and everything that goes with that. One thing to keep in mind is these plants were built in the late 60s and early 70s, when asbestos was very popular. Oh, yes. So a lot of insulation on our piping, a lot of insulation on our wiring. Something as simple as that. we got to make sure we abate the asbestos correctly so there's no thing, it becomes airborne and no uh, uh, concern to the public or the employees, of course, as well. So, Of all these issues, which one keeps you up at night? <laughs> there's just so many. There's a lot of ongoing people there, a lot of ongoing work. There's a lot of new people there. I mean, we've kept our 300 people, our core people, but there's so much work. We've hired a lot of outside people. And I hate to say it, some of the older people have retired, and now we're getting some people that are new to nuclear. So we got to oh, make sure we provide. That's huge. A lot exactly. of training. Got to pre 
provide extra oversight to make sure that they understand what their expectations are and that they follow those expectations. Folks, you're listening to Westchester Talk Radio. We are here live at ShopRite in New Rochelle for the sixth annual Stuff the Truck uh, to benefit Feeding Westchester. It's a holiday event. We do this every year. Today is Saturday, December 4th. I say that because if you're listening to this, we're here again tomorrow. Today we're here from 10 to 3 p.m. We're here in New Rochelle. Tomorrow, uh, December 5, uh, from 10 to 3 as well. And our guest, a very fascinating guest. I could talk to him all day and get fired for not having others on. But he's Daniel Cook, decommissioning safety manager at CDI, Comprehensive Decommissioning International. They are the people that took over from <clears throat> Indian Point after they closed and that are rather scientifically and with great rigor, safely decommissioning the plant. And Daniel was, of course, with um, Indian Point for 23 years himself. Um, you obviously like what you do. You, you oh, yeah, very much so. It's, uh, it's very interesting, and uh, especially with all the new technologies we're invoking to dismantle the plant. It's Such just, as? Well, uh, just we're going to be cutting up the internals of the reactor, like I said, using a five-foot-in-diameter saw blade, doing this underwater, because we need the water to protect us from the radiation. Stuff you'd never think about before. We're using a, a diamond-encrusted rope to cut holes in the side of our containment building, which is five and a half feet thick of concrete and rebar. So just things you would never think about doing because we always try to keep the plant online. Mm -hmm. Now that we're decommissioning, we're just doing things I've never seen before and it just makes every day interesting. Boy, it sure does. Now, why would it take 60 years in some cases? Well, uh, there's various things. One is uh, uh, that's just what's allowed by law I see. from the nuclear so regulatory give you commission. Time, yeah, yeah and, and it could be various things. Uh, we're developing new technology that will be used by other people. Uh, it could be a challenge of getting the right resources to dismantle it. It also could be funding. Sometimes a company has not set enough money aside, so they need to take the money they've set aside and let it accrue with interest and what have you to become enough to be able to fund the decommissioning because it's quite an undertaking to take a nuclear power plant apart. You know, Daniel, you're not supposed to answer questions before I ask them. It oh, makes oh, me sorry. look as dumb as I am. <laughs> not for what's, a minute, what's this going to cost? I'll be honest with you, I, I'm not privy to that. I'm just concerned about the safety. But there's money set aside, and they feel it's adequate here at Indian Point to safely dismantle it and return it back to future use. Well, um, what can I say? But I, this is just such a fascinating subject, and uh, we're obviously in good hands. Do you have any idea what, what's likely to become of the land later? And have, has any organization shown interest? It's a nice plot of land. Uh, yeah, it's a beautiful. It's right on the Hudson right River. Right on the river. When, and the, the train tracks are behind us, so you have complete access to the river. So i be honest, I don't know. It's That's down the road a bit. Unfortunately, I'll be retired before they do that, but it's, it could be limitless, the possibilities, that's for sure. Well, I have a few extra dollars in the piggy bank. Maybe I'll buy that land. It's going to be very valuable, and it's in safe hands. Daniel Cook, I can't thank you enough, A, for supporting this event uh, with us today and for being here and for sharing the story. Again, we could do a whole series about yeah. this fascinating stuff. Bob, it's always good to see you. And again, thank you for supporting Feeding Westchester. They're a great organization to do a lot of good things for the public. Well, thank you very much, and it's great to see you again. Folks, we're going to take a break. I'm Bob Marone with Mike Blakey. We'll be right back. You're listening to Westchester Talk Radio. Powered by Shark Media, a division of Shark Creative. And made possible by Entergy, Indian Point Energy Center. Visit safesecurevinyl.com. <laughs> 